this morning this morning's one of those mornings it's been it's been just busy it's been a busy week it's been a little bit of an emotional week for me personally this isn't in my notes that means I'm in trouble right <laughs> Paul's nodding his head over there <laughs> um, so I I got up and I plan I'm, I'm gonna read the room and see and then it's raining it's dreary I'm thinking oh man it's gonna be tough preaching today uh, for me personally it already was gonna be and then also I was thinking, man, are people going to be ready or are they going to, like, sleep? So, like, we'll see. But you look, you look awake. So I'm impressed. So maybe it's just me. <laughs> um, I don't normally do this. Maybe I should. I'm just, we take, I take the prayer and, and, and go. But um, just kind of sitting over there even during worship. And uh, I just feel like um, I need to pray one more time. <laughs> um, you know, um, even I need the, the reminder that uh, to not take God's word for granted, um, that, you know, I had to, I was just wrestling, seriously, just wrestling with myself down here, like, all right, just get through this one. Just, I just got to get through this one today. Um, there's a lot of amazing truth in, in this today. Um, I need to be more excited about this um, um, because it's life-changing, actually, um, what Jesus says. But even I can take it for granted, and I never want to be in that position. I never want that for you. And so maybe you're in that place with me uh, today. You feel like, man, I just, it's just another, I got to get through another Sunday. It's another, it's just a dreary day. This is a hard week, and uh, I'm looking for, let me get to the next week. Um, I don't want us to miss the moment um, and what God may choose to want to do in this place, because um, this is, again, it's transformational. So I want us to be mindful of that. Uh, before we even get into this, okay? So can I pray uh, one more time? And let's just pray that our eyes would, would be open today. Jesus, again, we, uh, we just look to you today. Uh, we need you. Father, I confess, even now I need you. Uh, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to be transformed uh, in our minds and our hearts through the power of your word and the gospel. Help us to not take this for granted, this living, active, breathing word that speaks life to those who have ears to listen. May we come before you today with great expectation, believing that you have something marvelous in store for us, that this could be one of those tipping point moments for our lives and for our faith if we just truly hear your words and believe what you say. So would you be with us today? Help us to see you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're new with us today, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John for a good portion of, of this year, just working through it, as we typically do here at Freedom Village, working through books of the Bible verse by verse. We've been doing that through John. And today, it's hard to believe, it's actually our 13th message um, in, this, in this series. Um, but if you are new, and maybe you're like, oh man, I'm, you know, message 13, I'm behind. Like, maybe I should wait till it's John's finished and come back. Well, you'll have to come back a year from now. <laughs> um, uh, but, if, but if you are new and you're like, oh, I've, I've missed it, um, the good news is that it's really, particularly for John's gospel, it's never too late for you uh, to join in this book because John has this tendency of uh, consistently repeating themes. And ultimately, he is always trying to bring us to the same place. John's goal is always the same. 
Every verse, every chapter, it's the same. He wants us to believe. Uh, whether you know Jesus here today or you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's the goal, to help us believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. You know, uh, one of the things that, that's so interesting uh, for me personally, uh, for me personally about preaching is that week in and week out, uh, as a preacher, uh, you are dealing with controversial things. Um, when you open up the Bible and then you teach the Bible, uh, when you teach God's word, you're always talking about something that has the potential for conflict. <laughs> Every time. You spend, well, at least I do, I, I spend hours and hours and hours studying this, wrestling with it, praying through it, and preparing to deliver this message that I've prepared for, for you, for myself actually as well. Sometimes I feel like I get more out of it than even you. <laughs> but doing that, all while knowing that a lot of people might not like what I say or even agree with what I say. Preaching is a really strange job, <laughs> uh, especially if you don't enjoy controversy like me. Okay? You tend to be a little bit more of a people pleaser. But that being said, as I was studying through God's word uh, this week, and particularly this text, I took great comfort in being reminded that this was exactly Jesus' life as well. His life was constantly immersed with controversy. And today's text in John chapter 5 is a great picture of that. Uh, because the words that Jesus speaks in our text today are actually, they're staggering. Staggering. Full of controversy. And they are words along with some other words later on that will eventually get Jesus crucified. Okay? They're that big of a deal today. Uh, these are challenging words centered around Jesus' life, centered around his death, as well as truths about the salvation that he offers, as well as the most controversial thing, the judgment that he will bring. Uh, they were challenging words to his listeners then. They hated him for these words that we're about to look at. And they are striking words for us today. Uh, one old commentator put it like this regarding this passage. He says this, Nowhere else in the Gospels do we find our Lord, Jesus, making such a formal, systematic, orderly statement of his own unity with the Father, his divine commission and authority, and proofs of his Messiahship as we find in this discourse. This dialogue is unlike anything else we've seen in John thus far. So that's the passage that we get to enter into today. It's a passage that demands a response. A passage that if we respond to it rightly, there's really good news for you today. There's a reason to listen. That if you and I respond to this text today rightly, it will lead you to have spiritual life now and a glorious life beyond the grave. And, and what more could we ever want? Actually, that's my prayer for every one of you. So with that, let's jump into our text today. If you remember uh, two weeks ago, maybe you weren't here, but two weeks ago, we talked about this conflict, this controversy that, that happened because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. He finds this man who had been lame for 38 years. He could not walk for 38 years, and so he heals him. Uh, but the Jewish leaders of the day are furious at this. They're very upset because Jesus did this on the day of the week 
that they have set apart. Okay? The day is called the Sabbath. Now to that, to that conflict, to that tension that the Jewish leaders bring, we see Jesus very wisely make this Sabbath problem an issue of his deity. He, he turns things around. You're thinking about the day. Let me t- tell you who I am. That's basically what he does. He says, God the Father, we know this, God the Father keeps working on the Sabbath. And therefore, so do I. Bottom line, Jesus says, I can do work on the Sabbath because I'm God. God the Father has that right and has that privilege, and so do I, right? because I'm God. And that's where we left off two weeks ago, with the Jews wanting to kill Jesus, literally planning to crucify him, planning to kill him, because Jesus was calling himself equal with God. He was saying that God was his father. And so that's the context that we enter into today. We're in the middle of this controversy, and in the midst of that tension, what Jesus does is take the opportunity to make some very big and bold claims about himself. What he basically says to the religious leaders is, oh, you heard me say that I'm equal with God and that makes you upset? Let me tell you how equal with God I really am. (laughs) Jesus is doubling down here. It's a good way to think of it. He's doubling down. Because what Jesus is going to do is claim to do what only God can do. He's going to claim the honor that only God can and should receive. And again, if his claims are right, if what Jesus said about himself in our text today is true, then it literally changes everything. If Jesus is who he says he is in this text, then we should bow to him, we should worship him, and we should rest all of our hope in him. That's what's at stake for us today. Did I convince you to listen yet? So what I'm going to do is try to simplify this because it's so profound. There's so much. I could have really preached three weeks on this text, just to be honest. But I'm not going to do that. Okay? I'm going to simplify the text and break it down into three parts. Okay? Hopefully make it simple for us today. Starting with this, section one, okay? Jesus' relationship with the Father. We can break down Jesus' claims, I think, into three sections. The first one being his relationship with the Father. Starting in verse 19, we see that Jesus grounds his claim of divine power and authority, his equality with God in his unique, beautiful relationship with God the Father. He says in our text this, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, We know that everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does is true. But to say truly, truly would be like me saying to you up here, which I do now and then, hey guys, circle this. Hey, uh, underline this. It means that what Jesus is about to say has special significance. And so what Jesus says here is, hey guys, highlight this. I have come to reveal the nature of God the Father. Highlight that. Okay, circle that. Write it down. And by the way, this is a repeated theme throughout the book of John, that Jesus is putting on display for us what God is like. 
So if you're here today or as you read the scriptures, you want to know what God is like. You know, a lot of people ask that question. I wonder what God is like. Like if there's a God, what is he like? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Because he never acts independently for even a moment. His life is in perfect harmony, in perfect step with the Father. So much so that Jesus will say later on in the book of John that if you've seen me, then you've, what? Seen the Father. So Jesus says to the leaders here, underlying this, I am the perfect revelation of God. I am the one who has come down to earth to reveal the Father. I do nothing of my own accord, meaning Jesus perfectly reveals the nature of God by his perfect obedience to the Father. Notice again at the end of verse 19, Jesus says, For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So you could say here, a good English phrase to, to think of this, to simplify it, like Father, like Son. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Like Father, like Son. This is the language, actually, that John is using here, and this is extremely important to understand, that Jesus and God, the Father, are actually, they're one in action. They're one in vision. They're one in mission. They're one in goals. They are in perfect sync, in harmony with one another. And why is that important? Because it puts in context every single thing that Jesus did while he was on the earth. The Father was in step with it all even to the point of Jesus going to the cross. Now, of course we know that the Father didn't himself die on the cross. Okay, that wouldn't be correct theologically. Jesus died on the cross. But it does mean, it does mean that they shared together in that experience, that they shared together in that sacrifice, because, again, they are one mind. They are one in action. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. They are one. And we see uh, this relationship further explained in verse 20. Jesus continues. He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So this again speaks to this unique relationship that they share. And interestingly here, the word for love is not the one that we would expect. It's not the word agape here, uh, which is typically, almost always through the scriptures, the love that we see describing a father and a son, that relationship. That's not here. Uh, the word here is actually phileo, which speaks of uh, community, of friendship, of fellowship. The emphasis here being that there is fellowship between the father and the son. There's community. Uh, there's this love, this communal love, this fellowship that is ongoing. It's continuous. And why is that important? Well, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I think it's the reason that you and I seek out community in our own lives. It's why we desire relationships. See, we've been created in the image of God, who is community. Uh, we've been made to know him, to be brought in this relationship with him and also to be in community with one another. In other words, we are designed for this togetherness, this fellowship to reflect who God is. And in this fellowship, 
we see here, it's, it's awesome, it's just, it's amazing. We see here that there is perfect communication between the two of them as well, God the Father and God the Son. That the Father here, Jesus is saying, withholds nothing from the Son. That's what he's saying. Because why? Because love gives. Love does not keep. It doesn't hold back. And, and so the Father in love, in this fellowship, shows the Son everything, and he says why. He tells us the reason for that. He says, so that we, we may marvel at that. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, hey, that healing of that man that I just did, that healing at the pool, that was one thing. But wait till you see the things that are coming next. Wait till you see uh, the raising of the dead. Wait till you see my resurrection. And, and let's make sure that we understand this idea of marveling as well and what that actually entails. Because Jesus is not saying something like, um, hey guys, I'm going to do all of these cool healings and miracles to get a thrill out of people. You know, like think of like going to the circus, right? It's like I'm juggling and are you amazed? Are you marveling? You know, it's not, it's not that. No, he's saying, he's actually saying here, to these people who, think of this, who hate him, who he knows are plotting to kill him, says to them, because I love you, even you religious leaders who hate me, my hope is in that showing you these things, in revealing to you who I am, in showing you my connection and relationship with the Father, that you will take a genuine step towards real faith. That's Jesus' heart posture here. Jesus will later, later say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would gather you. In other words, I desire to gather you together for me. And then he says, but why do you reject me? He says, I'm here for you. I'm revealing myself to you. Don't reject me. Don't reject me. No, be in awe of me. Marvel at me. Share in fellowship with me. The Father and I are one. I want you to see that, he says, and I want you to believe. So that's the first section that we have for us in this text this morning, and that's pretty significant, right? It's, it's pretty heavy. Jesus' relationship with the Father is something I believe that we will and should ponder for the rest of our lives. But then we move into section two of Jesus' claims, which is the Son's role in granting life and executing judgment. And this is where, I guess, the, the controversy really, really gets heavy. The son's role in granting life and executing judgment. So in verse 21, we again see Jesus claiming that he does the things that God himself does. He says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So if you... If you can, just for a moment, you can, you can picture the scene here. Jesus has raised this lame man, this man who has not walked for 38 years. This, this bothers the religious leaders so much. But now he says to them, um, there's a lot more that I can do. <laughs> he actually says to them, the Father and I can raise the dead. That's what he says here. Now, we have to understand, um, we have to go back to first century culture to really understand what Jesus is saying. This is a mammoth claim. It's huge. 
Um, actually, in that culture, in that culture, um, conservative rabbis in Jewish culture, they had this teaching that, that God, and only God, God had three keys that only he held on to, that only he could have. Key number one, rule. I have the ability to rule and reign over all things, over and above all things. Only God has that key. Number two, God possesses the key to the womb. Okay? God is the one who brings life. Okay? That's number two. Number three, God alone holds the key to resurrection. God holds the key to rule and reign. He holds the key to the womb to bring life, physical life, and the key to resurrection. And now in light of that, understand what Jesus says. Here, Jesus is essentially saying, hey guys, I have those keys. I have the power and authority of God. Why? Because I am God. And of course, if you've read ahead in John's gospel, okay, you've spoiled it. You can't help but think of Lazarus here. You can't. Okay, we'll get to that story in the winter. All right? But this is incredible. Jesus says, I have the power to raise life. I have the power to grant life. And he says, and I do so to whom I will. But more than, or on top of the power to raise the dead, Jesus says that he has the authority to execute judgment as well. The controversy grows deeper. Verse 22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. I hope, even just reading these words, I hope you're starting to see why so many scholars say, why so many scholars teach that we haven't seen anything like this in the Gospels thus far. We haven't seen anything like this in John up to this point. This is extraordinary, okay? Right here, we have, following a mammoth claim, we have one of the most colossal claims in all of the gospel letters. This is huge. Jesus says to them, I will judge the whole world. The Father's not going to do that. I'm going to do that. What? He says, I'm qualified to do that job. Actually, verse 30 tells us that he is perfectly just to do this. Verse 30. And verse 27 says, uh, we see here that Jesus has the authority to judge. Why? Because he is the son of man. That's what we're going to see, this term over and over again, son of man. That Jesus is the glorious son of man from the book of Daniel. The one who is given everlasting dominion and all glory. The one who is given the kingdom. That all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. That one, that Son of man knows all things, and Jesus is saying here so clearly, this is me. I'm here. I'm here before you. And I just want to pause for a minute, kind of go outside of the text, just for a second, to, to say that throughout the history of the church, there has been, in my humble opinion at least, there has been somewhat of a weak appeal when it comes to presenting the gospel. Um, what I mean is, we often hear from the stage and the guy from the microphone and in churches, we have throughout history, 
hear this presentation as Jesus as Savior, right? We hear that. But it is much, much rarer to hear a presentation for Jesus as the judge. But when you have Jesus as Savior, without being the judge, you're actually presenting to people a limited Jesus. Rather than the glorified Jesus, the conquering King Jesus. And so you'll hear messages like this, like this, sort of, um, hey, you know, guys, listen to me now. Jesus is he's, he's here and he's, and he's standing outside your door and he's knocking. He's knocking at your door and he's and he's hoping to get in. Will you just let him in? First of all, it's a really poor exegesis of that text. Doesn't mean, mean that at all. OK. But to read Revelation in context. But but. But when you do that, it actually presents a very helpless Christ in some ways. A Jesus who's got to knock at the door (laughs) to come in. That's actually not the gospel. It's not the Jesus of the scriptures. See, See, we do need to invite people to trust in Jesus. Absolutely, right? We talked about living on mission a couple weeks ago. No doubt about that. We should invite people to Christ, but we must also tell people the truth in love that Jesus is not knocking at the door. He's coming through that door. And you will meet him as your judge. Whether you like it or not, whether you let him in or not, Jesus says here in John, you are going to see him. Listen to me now. Okay? This is the time I'm telling you, wake up if you're sleeping. This is it. Whether, listen, whether you are paying attention to Jesus or not, whether you are prepared for him or not, he is coming to judge the whole world. Every single person you walk by today, I hope it convicts you deeply. When you leave these doors, every single person you walk by after you've worshipped this God, every person you walk by, every person you drive by will be judged by him. Every person in your office, every staff member, every student in your school, every person you sit next to at lunch today, you sit casually, right, with your headphones in at the coffee shop, will see Jesus Christ as judge. And that is meant to be a sobering reality for us today. It was meant to be for them in the first century as well. It's meant to make us pause and to reflect, to make us seriously consider and contemplate our own lives. And what it should ultimately do is stir up faith in Jesus within you. And if, you already, if you're here today and you already belong to Jesus, this should also provide you with hope in light of this promised coming judgment. Why hope? Why? In the judgment? Hope in the judgment? Yes. Because listen, Jesus is not only the judged, he was the judged one. He took our judgment on the cross And now we look forward to the day in which Jesus comes back for us, his church, and he makes all wrongs right. He makes all 
things new. And that makes his judgment actually good news. Not something to be feared for those in Christ, but but, but good news. It's also worth considering, why has the Father even given all judgment to the Son? Why would he choose to do that? Well, we see why, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This is why we exist, by the way, isn't it? (laughs) It's our purpose. To honor him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Honestly, right here in verse 23, this is the big question when it comes to religion. Global religion, actually. It's the question, do you honor the Son? It's the ultimate question. Do you honor the Son? It's not... The ultimate question of religion is not, do you believe in a God? The ultimate question of life is, do you honor the Son? Because the cults who come to our doors, they don't honor the Son. And the Jews listening to Jesus that day, they didn't honor him. They wanted to crucify him. They believed in God, but they did not honor the Son. And Jesus very plainly says here, if you don't honor the Son, then you actually do not honor the Father. Or to put it very clear, you are not honoring God, truly worshiping God, if you don't honor and truly worship Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ that we have life. It is only in him that we have refuge. It's only those who honor the Son It's only those who follow Jesus and Jesus alone who are granted eternal life now and forever with God. Now, we should acknowledge, I think it's right for us to do this actually, for me to remind you, we should acknowledge that many in our world believe and argue that this seems and sounds very narrow. It sounds exclusive. And to that I would say, They're right. This way is narrow. And it is exclusive. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, we should not be intimidated by that. We should not feel ashamed by that reality. I don't have the quote in front of me. It's out of my notes. But Tim Keller, um, who sadly passed away uh, recently, He would say that followers of Jesus should never be intimidated by the claim that we are an exclusive faith because every single person's belief are exclusive. There's no such thing. Every religion is exclusive. Even the ones that say every way is the right way, that's an exclusive claim. There's no absolute truth. That's an absolute truth. Don't be intimidated by our exclusive claim. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one worth honoring. Well, that leads us to the final portion of Jesus' claims now, which is our responsibility to listen and believe in the Son. Our responsibility to listen and believe in the Son. Verse 24. We start to get more of these trulies again. Okay, which means Jesus is really serious. Okay? 
We're going to see it in verse 24. We're going to see it in verse 25. Truly, truly, blah, blah, blah. Truly, truly. And then get it. Truly, truly, he says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We've already seen, discussed. Jesus says, he declares, that he will meet all people as the judge. And so the question that remains for us is, how do we avoid that judgment? How do we avoid that judgment? And Jesus' answer, you believe in him. That's what Jesus says here. But I want us to also see that our responsibility, this is interesting. I had to really dive into this this week. It's interesting what Jesus says, that our responsibility is actually not first to believe, but first to listen. You see that there? We listen to him, and then we believe. In other words, we are to listen to Jesus' word. We are to listen to the words and the claims and the truths of Christ, and then, and then per that listening, with that listening, the response is to embrace Christ, to trust Jesus, to love him, to honor him. Jesus says, whoever does that, whoever listens to the gospel, whoever listens to the truths about who Jesus is and what he has done and believes those words, they are the ones who avoid the coming judgment and find life. And we must see this as well. That eternal life is actually something that we can obtain now. This is actually not, it's really good news. This is not something that we actually need to wait for. It's something we inherit now. You can cross from death to life and experience life now. Here and now, when you choose to believe. In your seat, right now, you can believe and have and share in this life. I love verse 24 because in summation, it really is a summary of John's entire gospel, the whole letter. But I also love it because it demands a response. Jesus doesn't give us a way out. You see, we cannot read this, we cannot read these words of Jesus as like this sort of like moral suggestion. It's not that. This is an invitation. More than that, it is a call to decision. You have to decide. Jesus is coming before these leaders and coming before us, actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, presenting his credentials to us, as, as you will, kind of giving us his resume and saying, do you believe in me? What do you think? Do I get the job of being Lord of your life? Do I deserve the, be, being, the job of being the savior of your heart, your soul? Do I deserve your sacrifice? Here's the resume. Do you believe in me? Believe in me and have life. And now, here's the last part of this today. If we do, if we do believe in him, here is what we can anticipate after death or on the last day for the living. Verse 25 starts this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, some debate over whether or not Jesus is talking about the present time or a future time here. I tend to lean heavily and believe that he's speaking of the bodily resurrection, our bodily resurrection on the last day. But at the same time, I do believe Jesus is clearly saying here that the hour is now here. He says that because he wants us to know that resurrection power was among them in himself. The power to resurrect is here, now, with you. That authority is present now with you. Okay, we won't get into the bait for too long. Let's focus on what we do know about the future, because this much is clear. Jesus has the power to raise the dead and the authority to judge after the resurrection. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So how, how can Jesus raise the dead? It's a big question. How can Jesus give life? Well, no one can give to others what he or she lacks themselves, right? See, no sinful human being, you and I, we cannot generate eternal life for another person because we don't have eternal life within ourselves. But because Jesus has life, he's able to give life. Amen? He is able and willing to give life to whoever believes in him. Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming with authority. He's coming with power. He's coming with glory. His judgment will be inescapable and his judgment will be unmistakable. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, through a man, whom he is appointed, and his name, the Son of Man. Verse 28 and 29 are worth pondering for a very, 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 very long time, and I'll ponder them for five minutes. Okay. <laughs> They're worth pondering, but we'll land here. This is amazing. Jesus says this. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all, you can circle that, highlight that word all, when all who are in the tombs, believers and unbelievers, will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment Think about that for just a moment with me. What is so striking to me about this? What is so striking about this coming resurrection is that, is that the coming out of the tombs will be involuntary. Right now, again, in this life, you can ignore Jesus' call to believe. You can ignore the gospel. You can ignore preaching. You can ignore the books that your Christian friends give to you to read through. You can suppress the truth. You can, you can sort of push down and ignore your consciousness. But on the last day, no one will be able to ignore this call. 
the voice of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will bring the dead out of the graves, he says. You will come out. Truly, truly, he says, mark it down. You will come out of the tomb. Yikes. I don't know exactly how he'll do it, by the way. Don't ask me after the service. Will he call us out one by one? Right? Will he call us out individually by name like he did with Lazarus? Simply amazing. Jesus says, those who have done good, meaning not good works, good meaning those who have the fruit of faith, those who trust in him, those who believe in him, those who follow him, those who, who truly go the ways of Christ, they will receive life. They will come fully into resurrection life. But those who reject him, those who deny him, they will receive judgment at the resurrection. Separation from God. So hear me. Hear me. This is the message today. It's really simple, actually. There's a lot here, so much, so much rich doctrine, so much truth, so much theology. But the message today is really simple. All will be raised, so believe in the Son. All will be raised, so believe in the Son. Believe in the one who has conquered death, the one who has the power to raise the dead, the one who is, who is coming to judge. And if you do, then these words today from Jesus should be, are, they are an aroma of life. They are an aroma of glory. They're an aroma, aroma of hope, an aroma of peace for us. C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, illustrates the profound hope that we see in these verses. Illustrates this profound hope that these verses bring to those who choose to honor the Son. If you haven't read the book, at the end of the book, Aslan, the lion, who serves as the Christ figure in the Narnia series, he tells, they're in Narnia, and he tells Peter, Edmund, and Lucy, the siblings, he's with them and he tells them that there's been a railroad accident in the real world, not in Narnia, on earth. There's been a railroad accident, and actually they were on the train. They're dead. And at that, C.S. Lewis writes this. Listen to these words. The things that began to happen... The things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. But for them, for Peter, for Edmund and Lucy, it was only the beginning of their real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover, only been the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It is so true, so true. This life that we live here on earth is only the title page, for at our resurrection, true life begins. 
And every chapter that follows will be better than the one before. We who have believed in the Son have life now. But praise God that there will also be raised. We will also be raised later with him for glory. Jesus promises it, and he has the power and authority to accomplish it. So let's listen to Jesus. Let's believe in Jesus. Let's honor the Son. Amen? Let me pray for you.